Today's episode is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, Latino cinema, and they even produce their own content in-house, which is pretty freaking cool. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. They've got their hands in just about everything. And I gotta say, my favorite aspect of Mill Creek is how plentiful they are. It's rare that I've gone to a store and not seen their now ubiquitous logo on display. I'm sure you own at least one other title without even realizing it, and to make it even more strange, I was at Menards the other day and saw a whole selection of Mill Creek titles. <laughs> So, available at your local Menards, for those of you in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, Be sure to check out their new Hammer Horror box set, which I'm not sure whether or not that's at Menards or not, but but they put it out. Their Rita Hayworth collection, many titles within the wildly popular Ultraman series, and the David Gordon Green comedy, Your Highness. They're also well known for putting out great television series like Community, The Mindy Project, The Unbreakable Timmy Schmidt, and Eureka. God, I love Eureka. The the goddamn Sci-Fi Channel can put together an addictively cheesy series. Can't they? Well, they they have a knack of having the lowest budgets possible, but they still make it addicting as hell. <laughs> but speaking of addictingly cheesy, don't forget about Santa with muscles. Oh my God! How could I forget? Yes, Mill Creek is also responsible for distributing that little Hulk Hogan Christmas classic. So head to Mill Creek. ENT.com and see what their collection has to offer. That's Mill Creek ENT.com. Mill Creek Ent. I guarantee you'll find something great. Funny enough, very recently, I had actually just listened to a lot of Loretta Lynn's music, and it's not necessarily because I'm a fan. I'm not not a fan. Uh, yeah. It's just not usually my go-to thing. Um, but as sometimes I want to listen to music, and I don't quite know what I want to listen to, um, and I like the idea of, instead of just putting on something I'm very comfortable with and I know that I just kind of tune out, I like to pick something new that I've not heard. Yeah. So I've been yeah. working very, very slowly through the Rolling Stones' top 500 albums of all time. Nice. And um, I got to a point where it was like Loretta Lynn's ultimate classic hits or some shit. And then it had me also thinking, it's like, one, I don't think a best of album should be eligible for a greatest album of like all time cheating. list. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Especially because like, they had a Merle Haggard album on there that was like a five CD, like every song he's ever recorded. It's like, that doesn't count. <laughs> of course yeah it's gonna be a great album because it's all their best fucking songs like right but uh no i had just listened to a bunch of loretta lynn because of that so that that turned out and um no she she's got a she's really cheeky in her songs like she's uh yeah. she she's gone on to become kind of a feminist icon oh, in nice. music um because she she's very open about uh you know not believing in this whole concept of uh, a woman's place in life and uh like the song fist city alone is really funny because it's you know it's it's she's like well if you try stealing after my man you're gonna enter fist city so she's just talking about beating the <laughs> shit out of people and it's like i don't know she's just she's kind of fun she's fun yeah it's like not like uh, i don't go to but if it's on i'm like okay i can i can i can tap my foot to this yeah i i assume i before we put it on, I was thinking to myself, like, I couldn't name a single Loretta Lynn song, but I'm pretty sure that if I heard them, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Um, 
I did not recognize a single song <laughs> in that movie. For me, I kind of got turned on to her for a couple ways when I was younger. One, I knew I knew of this film, and I do have a story to tell about the first time I saw this film. So try to remind yeah, me. Of yeah. But okay. I've my music tastes are very strange because my dad grew up in the Appalachian mountain range or Appalachian, as they say. Yeah. Uh, so one, all the accents in this film remind me of that. But, <laughs> um, but. You know, my, my family's all from the deep south. And then, um, you know, I'm obviously not. So it was funny. So, like, it would, like, I remember trips going to visit family, and I'd be, you know, it'd be, it'd be like a weird mixture of my tastes plus my dad's plus my, my grandparents. So it'd be like, it was weird to go from like the Sex Pistols to Loretta Lynn to Kiss. And like, <laughs> and I just, I feel like it just really informed my taste. And then it was, it was a really interesting year. Where Loretta Lynn put out an album. Um, let's see if I can remember the title of it. Give me a second. Um, it's called Van Lear, Van Lear Rose. It was her 42nd studio album. She put it out in 2004. Jesus. And I had heard that Jack White from the White Stripes had produced the album. <laughs> and that's amazing. It's It got rave reviews. It was getting like 4.5 out of 5 stars from everywhere uh it won best country album um and jack white sings on a couple of those tracks and, and just slays guitar in a couple of them and i was like holy shit who would have thought a skinny pale white guy from detroit would produce one of the best country albums of the year <laughs> right and i was i'm still am a huge fan of jack white so like okay here's a musician my grandmother absolutely loves and a musician i love let me give this album a shot it's like how the the uh, lead singer of the Bleachers produces like almost every pop album out there right now, including like yeah. Taylor Swift or and... like the, the singer from Rancid. He writes like Gwen Stefani's songs. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Is that uh, Tim Timebomb? <laughs> I think so, or something like that. Yeah, it's like I just love that. Like he writes. Like he he wrote like a lot of Gwen Stefani's big hits, like her solo <laughs> act. I'm like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> if you can uh, write a song, you can write a song. Right, right. Um, I got a, a music recommendation for you based on your your uh, Appalachia okay. conversation. Somebody that came through the Stoltz that do tell um, gonna, that I haven't been able to stop listening to. I'm gonna text um, it to you so I don't forget. I don't have a piece of paper nearby. Okay. Who is it? Um, give, give me a second. Uh, it's shit. Then we, we can cut out this dead air. Um, <laughs> oh, we're going to keep it all. Okay. Got it. Uh, Pierce Edens. Pierce Edens. Gotcha. Sent it to you. So I remember myself to listen to it later on. Nice. Um, but he has that. I think he's from North Carolina or something. But yeah. it, it has like a modern folk Americana with, cool. I'm like, all about that. With um, Appalachian roots. Appalachia. Uh, Appalachia. So before we get to talking further about the movie, Nick, how are you? So I'm good. I'm on the, you know, the the COVID um, ebb and flow of existential dread and like... Cool. The other end of whatever that is. I'm on the other end of whatever that is. So okay. I, <laughs> I'm, today's a good day. 
I uh, and, and I, every day is a good day that I get to talk to you. I know that's how I feel. Having had COVID, it's very strange because like I'm still I'm equal parts, um, still paranoid, but then also I'm like, am I immune? <laughs> am I a superhero now? And I was talking joking to Amanda because she took two tests and came back negative both times. Is like I think you're the cure. <laughs> like I had COVID. You shared a house with me. We didn't change anything. Yep. And you came back negative twice. You you are the cure, lady. <laughs> and I should probably also make this this text bigger. I can't read 12-point font. What the fuck? <laughs> All right. Sip of coffee for the working coal miner podcasting men. Turtle. <laughs> <clears throat> Warning, this movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am like, ooh, that was a little hot. That was a little hot. Let me... uh, Hello! Let me turn that shit down. Ooh, let me take two. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Virus, and with me, as always, is a man who I can definitely say is nothing but a dadgum kid. <laughs> Nick Richards. I was hoping for dadgum bear. Uh, I was trying to figure out, it's like, how can I work that line in where when Loretta gets pregnant and she'd be like, well, I finally found something you're good at. How can I make that work with Nick? <laughs> But then I thought, is it also insulting? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I am very virile <laughs> and fertile. Uh, anyways, while this episode is coming a little late in the grand scheme of things, we wanted to pay tribute to a filmmaker that I'd refer as a quietly prolific, as, as being quietly prolific, meaning he achieved a ton during his long career but isn't the household name he should have been. Today we're paying tribute to British filmmaker Michael Apted by talking about arguably his most beloved film, Coal Miner's Daughter. 13-year-old Loretta Lip. Whoop. Who? <laughs> Take two. <laughs> you ever get just like an air bubble coming Oh, up? yeah. <laughs> 13-year-old Loretta Webb. <sighs> Can't say that. Take three. <laughs> this is why we're not live. <laughs> That's right. 13-year-old Loretta Webb is the eldest of eight kids and lives a life of hard work and poverty in an area known as Butcher Holler. It's technically hollow, but if you've ever been to the South, it's holler. Oh, as as Butcher Holler. Yeah, in, in, in Kentucky. Every scrap of food and clothing is a gift as Loretta's father, Ted, slaves away in the grueling conditions of the Van Leer coal mine. That is... Until she meets the charismatic Doolittle Lynn, who has more names than any single person I've met. Uh, he's charming, confident, and has his eye on Loretta. They fall for each other, and he helps her escape this tough life of being a coal miner's daughter. One thing that Loretta loves is to sing, and Do feels his wife can be someone if she just had the opportunity and dedicates himself to making this dream of stardom come true. Things aren't easy, and what Loretta learns is just because you're famous and have money does not mean the world becomes less difficult. Also, I just need to specify, 
Uh, I'm being rather kind to the character of Doolittle Lin in this intro, but we will discuss him further. <laughs> yeah, he's complex. Yeah, story has it that Loretta Lynn personally chose Sissy Spacek out of Sissy Spacek out of a stack of photographs. She had never seen her act, or nor had she heard her sing, but she oh, knew wow. she wanted this woman to play her. Uh, and Sissy Spacek did not want to do it at first; she was too nervous, Ooh. but. Uh, Loretta Lynn went on national television on Jimmy Carson and said, Sissy SpaceX is going to play me in a movie. They had never asked her. <laughs> I, I guess I'm playing Loretta Lynn. They became fast friends, and Lynn taught SpaceX how to sing, how to act, and how to perform like her. Wow. The film itself went on to become a huge hit and is still beloved to this day. Loretta Lynn herself is incredibly proud of the film and has even dedicated a huge portion of her own property to make in the coal miner's daughter museum where she saved every prop she could from the film so her fans could come and see it <clears throat> the film was nominated for seven academy awards but only had one win which was for best actress for sissy spacek however the film take did take home best motion picture for musical comedy at the golden globes and michael apted was nominated by the director's guild of america for outstanding achievement in directing Wow. The film was written by Tom Rickman, based on Loretta Lynn's personal memoirs, with cinematography by Ralph D. Bode and music by Owen Bradley. Uh, it stars Sissy Spacek, Tommy Lee Jones, Beverly D'Angelo, LaVon Helm, and, and LaVon Helm as Ted Webb. From 1980, directed by Michael Apted. This is Cole Miner's Dog. Well, I was born to Cole Miner's Dog. We were poor, but we had love. That's the one thing my daddy made sure of. How come she gets something extra? Loretta's getting to be a woman, going on 14. You know, the first time I ever seen you, I said, me and that little old gal's gonna get together. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm gonna faint. Well, that's the way you're supposed to feel when you're in love. Mr. Ms. Webb, me and Loretta is fixing to get married. Promise me, boy, don't you never hit her. Sorry, Loretta, but you can't. I just need a little more time. You need a little more time to learn how to love your man the way you're supposed to. Do, are you leaving? There ain't nothing for me in Kentucky, Loretta. Except a chest full of coal dust and being an old man time I'm 40. I'm gonna have a baby. But maybe it'll turn to something that'll raise a Titanic someday. What'd you get me a guitar for? Because I like the way you sing. Have I? Could I tell you now? You boys, stop fighting and listen to me sing. I him still. Many nights I've laid. Brand new on the Zero label. Miss Loreen Lynn. What? Singing. It's Loretta. It's Loretta Lynn. So let's give a great big grand old Opry welcome to Miss Loretta Lynn. You're number 14 nationwide. I hate you. Ladies and gentlemen, make welcome Miss Loretta Lynn. I'm getting run to death out there. I need somebody to take care of me. Woman, if you want to keep that arm, you better get it off my husband. Make welcome, please. A young lady with 21 number one records, Miss Loretta Lynn. Baby, they're out there waiting on you now. You don't want to let them down. Don't tell me about letting them down. The first lady of country music, Miss Loretta Lynn. Things is moving too fast. 
in my life. Dude, if it's gonna break us up, I'll quit. Successful people don't quit, baby. Not much left but the And not only did Sissy Spacek sing all of her own stuff, Beverly D'Angelo. Fuck yeah, she did. Said, Holy shit, her She's got voice. Some pipes like, on her. Like, Sissy Spacek blew me away with her accuracy of, mm-hmm. of, of singing and sounding like Loretta Lynn, which is awesome. But when Beverly, I didn't realize, I was like, there's no way that's Beverly D'Angelo. Um, it was. It was. I'm, I'm sorry, the, um, Patsy Cline. Other, Pat, thank you. Jesus Christ. Patsy Klein, like, holy shit, can Beverly D'Angelo sing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea. And actually, Sissy Spacek tells a story about, like, so both Sissy Spacek and Tommy Lee Jones went and stayed with uh, the Lynns for a short period of time to get to know them, figure out who what they were like. Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones has a funny story about how that did, was not a fun uh <laughs> meeting the first time but um sissy spacex said they, they they hung out together and she taught her the the words to the songs and showed her mannerisms and then you know started singing with her and what they actually took her to the studio and removed all of the redolins vocals from the songs and had sissy spacex sing all for them and she said she uh laura Edelin even tells a story about how she took sissy spacex with her to the grand old opry and they would switch back and forth between singing to see if they can get the crowd to con- believe that one you know one was the other yeah <laughs> wow so like i just uh, i love the uh the attention to detail yeah and you said you've seen this oh yeah before, mm-hmm. yes okay so it was on my shame list um i recommended it when i heard about the director's passing and actually it had been so long by the time that we actually watched it that i had forgotten why i recommended it that's fair it happens to all <laughs> um, of us um but um to to go into kind of my my initial thoughts on it um i was surprised at how mellow the film was mm-hmm. it wasn't really overly dramatic and i liked how much space the director gave this film to breathe oh 100% i think the direction is phenomenal um i listened to a little bit of the commentary track about that and he was talking about um that he let the blocking really dictate where he was moving the camera um and in some cases he came in not knowing what the blocking was going to be let the actors figure it out and then like, okay then this is how we're going to do it yeah there was one point where the the mellowness was like i i was aware of it, it also felt very. Uh, I'm trying to find the right way to word it. Uh, the scenes were a bit disparate. Like it would jump, and you you weren't quite sure why they jumped. You know, it wasn't the scenes didn't segue between each other. Mm-hmm. And then there was a point where Loretta Lynn um, says, "It's like my whole life." that I haven't had control over any part of my life and it's just been happening. 
Mm-hmm. And that was where suddenly the pace and the tone of all of the film up until that point made sense to me. I think it was um, really smart and subtle that 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 it was directed that way and that that line kind of made it all make sense to me. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yep, nope, that's exactly what that felt like. Mm-hmm. It was Loretta Lynn's character being swept up in this, you know, in this current yeah. where everything's happening to her. And while the film never feels like it, it it's, it's going fast pace, if you look at, like, the way the first half of the film is constructed versus when it's she starts getting famous it's you know the the film definitely breathed more at the beginning and then yeah, it's just like yeah. here's a life event here's a life event and i don't mean this in a bad way but like you said it's just like so much is happening and she's on tour all the time and all this craziness and like i i want to discuss i want to discuss him in long form or at least as long as we want to discuss about him yeah. but like i found it really interesting that like you know here you have a character like Doolittle. Which, by the way, his his Do. fucking his name is Oliver, and his nickname is Mooney. But I don't know where the fuck Doolittle came from. <laughs> right. But anyways, um, where where he was like, you know, we got to get you famous, and I never really got what? the feeling. Real quick, I think making a- Mooney is an. I think his last name was Doolittle, wasn't it? And Mooney was a nickname because he was a moonshiner. Oh, that makes sense. Um, no, I think his last name was Lynn. That would make sense. Maybe Doolittle's a middle name? Maybe. Um, but, you know, what I found so interesting about, like, um, so, he, you know, he doing all these things, like, oh, we, we got to get, you know, we got to get you famous, girl. And it never felt like he was doing it to, like, take advantage of her. It just felt like, oh, shit, I believe that you can do this. And then yeah. he eventually started regretting the fact, you know, the fact that she's the breadwinner and everything. But what I find really interesting is he went from being like, we got to have this big star-studded life to being like... I just want to sit at home and knock over trees with my bulldozer. <laughs> so, like, you know, he it's it's funny, just funny how their two lives have kind of like switched. And yeah, yeah, his his character is really like I I never get the sense that he regretted what he did. Um, I think everything that. Doolittle did was to satisfy a purpose that he felt he had. And then at some point in the I'm going to manage your career, he just felt like he was, his purpose was served. Mm -hmm. And so there was no point in him being serving that role anymore. Mm -hmm. I think his character is a bit, um, uh, erratic in in jumping from purpose to purpose, but he's trying to satisfy his own need for for uh, uh, feeling needed. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if forgive the, the lackluster way in which I <laughs> delivered that information. Um, so then, you know, then he becomes kind of the the stay at home dad rancher character. Um, because that's now where he's needed. Yep. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're we're jumping all over the place a little bit as as we do. <laughs> uh, but no, like so. I guess before I talk about my history of the film, what did you like the film? 
Yes, I did. Um, I didn't. It, it didn't blow me out of the water. I didn't think it was was amazing. I do think the performances were amazing. I thought the content was interesting, um, but it it didn't blow me away. I, I really enjoyed it um, and uh, respected the quality of what it was. I thought the first half was a really fascinating look at. Um, at least portrayed, I don't know, can't speak to its accuracy, but the that uh, life of, like, mid-century Appalachia. Um, I thought that they handled all of those um, things with respect. They didn't rely on stereotyping mm-hmm. at all, which, I, like, they have the moon shining and the coal mining and all of these stereotypes, but... That's not... They didn't rely on the stereotypes to tell the story. And I think um, part of that is comes down to Michael Aptid's directing. Because Michael Aptid is from fucking England. You know, what right. does he realistically know about this world? But he said that, you know, he, he's had a... He, he has believed for a very long time that um, if you're going to depict a part of the world, you should depict it as it, as it is. So what he did is he he cast the main roles. He cast Sissy Spacek, he cast Tommy Lee Jones, he cast Beverly D'Angelo. Everyone else is from this world. Okay. Uh, Levon Helm, he was the, the singer for the band for the band the band. He's not an <laughs> actor. Um uh the the woman who plays her mom, she is not an actor. She's a local. Okay. All the kids, all the background people are all locals. They are part of this world. And that was one thing. And then he cast a lot of country musicians. And he he that was something that was important to him is to make sure he was accurately portraying this world. Right. It it helps fill in it in acknowledging that he has an information gap that allows that to be filled in from experience versus uh, filling that in with stereotypes and cliches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's part of the reason. And that's I've always appreciated in films when that happens. Yeah. You know, why cast someone to play this role when you can just get someone who's local to do it? You know, if they want to do it. Um, but no, I, I have a I have a history with this film. Um, and I personally love this film. And part of it is cousin nostalgia. And I also credit... Because I love... Biop, like biopics, specifically yep. music biopics. Um, and this wasn't like any biopic that I, musical biopic that I had ever seen. Usually they're more, uh, they're, they're bigger and, mm-hmm. and they're showing you how crazy life is on the road as a musician yeah. doing drugs and, and missing gigs and This set a very high bar for me for that reason. That it, it was really ref- a real palate cleanser for musical mm-hmm. biopics for me. I love them, even when they suck. Like I, I just, I, I love <laughs> yeah. seeing this behind the scene of how the how, you know, well, even if it's not potentially true. Like I just love this idea of seeing how these real life stuff, you know, came to be. And and typically musicians are kind of naturally charismatic, so they're it, it, as long as they're portrayed well. Yeah. Um, you kind of naturally gravitate towards characters like that. Yes, yes. Um, but I think this movie is part of the reason why I have such a fondness for it. Because I first saw this movie as a kid. 
and it came on television. And it's so. What's super strange is I I didn't I, I really had no idea who Loretta Lynn was. I didn't know who Sissy Spacek. I was like anywhere from eight to maybe twelve years old at most in that realm. And it came on TV, and I was staying up late past my bedtime just because I could. I wasn't like necessarily <laughs> staying up to see this film, but I was going through the channels and something caught my eye. And I think it might have been Tommy Lee Jones because I think I obviously I knew uh, Batman and I knew uh, Men in Black and I was like. Okay. I was like, Tommy Lee Jones looks weird in this movie. <laughs> and <laughs> what's with that red hair? <laughs> yeah, and I was just watching for a little bit, and I just it was it was right around the scene where Doolittle was talking to uh, Ted Webb, the father, and was like, "I want to marry your daughter." Uh, and then he, you know, the dad pretty much goes, "You better not never hit her." And then like two scenes later, he smacks the shit out of her. And <laughs> the I two remember, things they asked her not to do, he does. And I just sitting there like, "You." you weren't gonna hit her and i got like super raged and i'm like hiding underneath a blanket and it's like it's such a strange movie for a young child to stay up and potentially risk getting in trouble to watch but i got so invested and hooked on this film yeah i didn't know who and i think and ultimately that was the power of cinema i didn't know loretta lynn i didn't know this time period and nothing about this film should intrigue a child but it brought me in and engrossed me and i stayed up and watched the whole damn thing and the movie's like two hours and change is the now you've got me thinking more on on his character, Doolittle's character. I find it like typically so that when that scene you described, he he says, "I want to marry your daughter," and he says, "The dad and mom are both like, well, she's thirteen. <laughs> yeah, when this happens, and he is <laughs> older than thirteen. Just a, just um, a touch. He went to. He came back from World War Two. He's just, I think, twenty two at the time. <laughs> oh, jeez. So rife with problems. But he yeah. makes her. He makes him promise two things: that he'll never hit her, and that he won't take her far away from home. Yeah. <laughs> and typically, like from a from a story writing concept, that is. So you set that up early on, and that's something that you can kind of hold out there throughout the script. To kind of build up to. They didn't build up to it. The next scene was like, we're married. Smack. Yeah. It's it's almost like. It, <laughs> and then the next scene is, all right, I'm going to take you far away from here. It was like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah. And it's, but it's, they also, they didn't just portray him exclusively as an abusive asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, he, there are some good elements to his character, which makes him more he's dimensional. Dimensional. He, he is like he. I I don't think you can argue that he does not love Loretta's. You know that he doesn't love Loretta, and that he doesn't believe in Loretta. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's not doing his best to support her in the way that he understands. That doesn't make any of the other things he does okay, mm-hmm. but. It's fascinating. Usually, when you're portraying an abusive husband in a film, he's like a drunk asshole with very few, if any, redeeming qualities. And this character, it's it's a roller coaster back and forth, and it's interesting watching them their their relationship. I wouldn't even say evolve. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really evolves all that much, but to watch it play out over time. Yeah, and it's interesting too. So like Loretta Lynn and Doolittle had their hands involved in this film. 
you know, they came to them and said, hey, we want to make this film about you. And they're like, yeah, sure. Like, um, <laughs> but it wasn't just that wasn't that wasn't just it. Like, I listened to an interview with Loretta Lynn and she was talking about Tom Rickman, who wrote the script. And they're like, oh, he, he wrote this brilliant script, had very naturalistic dialogue. But uh, she, they said, um, you know, he, he'd send us the script. And, you know, like, he's, he's like, he was such a nice man. He really got what we were going for. But we, you know, we had to make him do a couple more passes on it. And I was like, wait a second. You two read this script and you both were fine with this portrayal of him. That means <laughs> they are very comfortable knowing what you know they're not trying to sugarcoat who he is yeah you know and i think that's really kind of endearing in a weird way like he read this script or at least loretta read it and told him what it was about if anything <laughs> just knowing what i get i got the feeling from his character he'd be like oh just tell me what it's about <laughs> right just just give me the, the give me short give me the short notes and uh you know they were like yeah this is fair and yeah. and well and and this film was released in 1980, I believe. Um, so there's, you know, and we've made some progress in the last 40 years since then. And and I think back in 1980, it wasn't quite as uh, demonized as it should have been. Spousal abuse, uh, <laughs> corporal yeah. punishment, be, you know, hit, slapping your wife just to get her to, you know, all of those horrible ideas. So I... If Loretta Lynn, you know, she's she's no longer with us, but um, if that same thing had happened today, they might be a little more. Oh, uh, by the way, Loretta hesitant. Lynn is still alive. I'm sorry, Doolittle. Oh, okay. then passed. Yeah. I I did say Loretta. I knew one of them died. I thought it was in the other direction. Yeah, no, Doolittle okay, so, died in like ninety in the early nineties. Okay, that's. I was reading something about how. They, they, I was curious about how, about their relationship. So we were kind of, you know, doing a quick yeah. Google search and how they were together until the, one of them died in, when, when they died. And I just mixed up in my head. No, that's fine. I just wanted was. to clarify. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I forgot. Oh, just that if, if this, that same process had been played out today, they might not be, might not have been as forthcoming with the idea that he smacked her around, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, just, I, I think it's interesting. And Tommy Lee Jones talks about the first time he had to meet him, um, especially because he said, you know, I, 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 only thing I knew about him was what I read in the script. And um, he's like, I, when we went to um, uh, Tennessee, where they were living at the time, and he's like, I was there for a couple of my musician friends and. Um, and, you know, it's like we, we, they had, they had this limo set aside for us and, um, that we were supposed to go take to go meet him. And he's like, my musician friends were like, Oh, let's go. Um, let's go, let's go to the recording studio for a little bit and lay down some tracks. And he's like, well, should we be doing this right now? We got things to do. He's like, Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And he said at the time he had his dog with him <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones had his dog with him. And, um, you know, he got to the studio and everything and the limo left. And he's like, "Where's the limo going?" He's like, "Well, the, no, he the limo knows he's supposed to be going to, to the Hurricane Mills, which is where they the Lins live." And he's like, "Well, my dog's still in the, in the limo." Um, and uh, so they show up a couple hours later, 
And uh, apparently when the limo showed up and, you know, Doolittle was like, well, who's this big... With just a dog inside. Well, he's like, who's this Hollywood guy showing up in a limo? And he op- the door opens up and the dog jumps out and... And he's like, he was fucking pissed. <laughs> uh, and then they said when they finally got there, they were like, well, where is he? He's like, oh, he's he's out back somewhere on his on his, on his his tractor. He's like, here's how you get down there. And he's like, oh, no, we know where he's at. And they could see trees just falling in the background. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, I, he's like, I was so afraid to meet this man. But he's like, I, um, we bonded over those big tractors and those wheel barrel, not bulldozers and shit. Cause he said, yep. he taught me how to drive all of them. Okay. Uh, so like, um, so he's like they kind of bonded over that, and then they kind of all felt like they were family. But he, he, Tommy Lee Jones says one of his favorite shots is in the movie at near the end, where after they see their, you know, they talk about their plans for their 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 house up on the hill, yep. and they have that scene of him driving that tractor down the the hill. He's actually driving that, and he's yeah. he, he said I'm really proud of it because that's not an e- easy thing to drive because you you steer with the brake. <laughs> And he, so he's 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 like he's like he was a scary man at first, but he's like once you got to know him, he was he was kind of an interesting character. And and I think one thing that I think Tommy Lee Jones does very well is he plays the part he he, he so well where he is extremely charming. You he makes you hate him and makes you like him all throughout the course of the same film. Yeah, it's yeah. very it's very interesting, and it's like. A lot of times when when there are characters with that you would describe in a similar way, it's like they'll do a bad thing in a charming way. And that's not necessarily the case here. It's that he has really good qualities, and then he has other really problematic qualities. Mm-hmm. And I got the sense that this is an issue of how he was raised Mm -hmm. or he was, he was raised to think that that those things were okay. And and he hasn't unlearned that yet. We got one little snippet of what his home life was like. And it did not seem good. It was when, uh, after the moonshine guy got killed. (laughs) Um, and then assume his father and him were, were carrying the body. And he was like, is it a good thing you didn't work with him or else this could be you. But on the other hand, at least you'd have a job. And I was like, damn. Thanks, Pop. <laughs> Thanks. Like, he just he came back from World War II. Give him a little bit of credit. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> um, I'll just... There, I, I have two ideas bouncing around in my head that I okay. want to make sure I get out. And I think I can frame it in a way that makes sense. I want to share with you uh, my favorite moment of the film. Okay. Uh, my, my thrill house moment. Yeah. And... And then one of my, I wouldn't even say it's the moment I was most disappointed with, but just the one that threw me the most. So, Thrill House moment. This, again, I'll I'll restate, this film is kind of slow. Not to the point that it meanders, but it's just, it has a mellow pace. Mm -hmm. It's taking its time to get where it's going. And and it's, it's simple in a good way. And then there's this moment after the courtship of Loretta and Du when it's Loretta and her father standing at the train station mm-hmm. getting ready. Again, he Doolittle broke the second promise that he made to Loretta's father. And he's sitting there feeling all you can see in his working man coal mining face 
that um, he's not okay with this happening, but he's also he never takes it out as anger uh-huh. or, or even or personal disappointment. It's just he something is being stolen from him, and he he says this is the last time I'll ever see you. And it's so simple mm-hmm. and short. And she's like, Daddy, no, you'll, we'll see each other. He's like, yeah, but you won't be this person anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't even know. They don't show them ever seeing each other again. They, and I don't they think of, they it, do. They imply the- that they never see, that he always wanted to get out and see his grandkids. But um, Imagine it's makes, not easy when you make so little money. And- right. It It makes that moment even more poignant that, he was right that he he knew exactly what that moment was. Uh-huh. Doolittle came, took his little girl. She, because she was only 13, he felt he was supposed to have more time with her before she went and got married. And those years were stolen from him. And he play, plays it so simply and so beautifully that it is a truly heartbreaking moment. Yeah. And I and I personally think things like that are why this movie stuck with me. Yeah, you know, because like yeah, there's been biopics that have you know bigger, larger than life scenes. Like you know, don't get, I, I've pro- uh, professed my love for the for the Elton John film Rocket yep, Man. Yeah, I love and, Rocket Man and how big and boisterous and like it's it's a movie that you can just put on and have a good time, even though when they don't necessarily the movie's not necessarily having a good time. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> right. Like, but right. like Coal Miner's <laughs> daughter, it's just like. It's just such a good, well-made film. It's a, I, I think about it often, and I've not seen it all the way through in a very long time. And I think about okay. this film often, and just even when I was like, um, when I'm I'm trying to, I'm writing a film right now myself, and it takes place in a similar location to this. And I just think about this film often and be like, you know, how would Coal Miner's daughter handle a scene like this? And, nice. You know, and I'm not even thinking about it from a perspective of like. How Loretta Lynn, you know, records her music and all that, but just like, just the characters are so well defined and so yeah. well written, but not overwritten. Yeah. Um, so then the other side of of that is the the part that kind of threw me, and that's uh, how they decided to end the film. Yeah. Because you feel like you're building up to something. You know, Loretta is getting more frustrated with feeling like she should be this subservient wife. But they never really resolve that. There's the moment up on the hill with the house, the the Mm -hmm. layout towards the end. I love that scene. Where she says, I just wish you would have asked me. And he's like, all right, we'll put it over there then. Which isn't asking her. And she goes, no, we can put it in the same place. And he's like, all right, we'll build two bedrooms. And again, that that shows how he's he does care about what she thinks. Stop but it also, like a daggum bear, like a daggum bear. Um, <laughs> but there's not; she never gets that. Okay, now I'm going to do it my way mm-hmm. thing. And then there's like the element where she's getting these headaches and having a really rough time on the road. And then they resolve that by like, okay, take a week off, and then she's back on the road again. And it's like, but what were those headaches? What? Yeah, it's. Like, I, think, she, I think some of she this just com- needed a week long vacation. I, I guess. I think some of this comes down, and I, it's this is always an interesting thing to think about, where a bio a biopic about a living musician or a musician that her end hasn't happened yet. 
Loretta Lynn. So, like, yeah. how do you end a film? Because, like, so the movie's made in 1980. The film ends around 1970 when she released that song. So it's like the movie's only ten, about 10 years later. Like, you know, she still has a career. She's still doing things. There isn't really an end. I guess, you know, to me it just felt like – I agree. Like, the ending I, – I, I don't know how you would end this film. It – I, I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree, but, like, all I wanted was resolution for the things that they were yes. bringing up in the film. Like, if they were exploring it, and then they just kind of went, Co-Miner's daughter, everybody! <laughs> like, rather than giving some kind of resolution to those relationship dynamics that they were exploring and building. Like, mm-hmm. they were building... And then it felt like there was one or two scenes missing at the end that they just lopped off. Um, I, not, I, and I'm not arguing that they were, but... I feel like, and it's it's weird to referencing it this way, because the movie I'm about to say it feels like came later. It, <laughs> but it almost feels like it, it was trying to do what um, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story did in the <laughs> end, where they're like, well, you got to write that song that's a culmination of your entire life. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I felt like they were trying to do that by yep. uh, by having her debut Coal Miner's Daughter as a song. It just didn't feel like that's what they were trying it, to do. Right. It, it didn't... It just didn't... T- it, it should feel like you're snapping the last puzzle piece... Into a puzzle you've been working on for the last it, day or two, right? It makes you wonder, was she being double great for both of them? <laughs> I think I'm doing pretty good for a 14-year-old with a wife and a baby. You you smell that shit, baby. <laughs> this is now just become a Dewey Cox podcast. <laughs> but no, I feel like that's what they're trying to go for. Is like, here's yeah. everything that she's learned. She's culminated. She's put together. Yeah. Here's my song. And it wasn't far off. I'm, no, I'm, no, 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 no. I'm nitpicking. I, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think and, that it was. And they did a, a lot of terrible thing, ending. They did a lot of things to lead to that ending too. Like one thing I found fascinating. So the film was scored, and I say scored loosely because there's not a lot of score in this film. It, you have so much music to yeah, to rely on. It's by on, a man named uh, Owen Bradley, who was a who's a record producer uh, in the 50s and 60s, and was important was important for country rockabilly in Nashville. Okay, but. Realistically, what Michael Apted said they did was they got this guy Owen Bradley to to help, and what they did is they just got a bunch of Michael Apted's words, a bunch of country pickers together, you know, bunch, some <laughs> musicians to go in the studio, and they just laid down some little incidental music. But what they were doing was they were doing the variations and uh, variations of the. Uh, melody of Coal Miner's Daughter. Sure. So if you listen to the music in the film, it's essentially playing bits and pieces of Coal Miner's Daughter throughout. So they're kind of like building up to this final song, this big moment, um, which I thought was a kind of interesting way to do the score. Um, Yeah. Because, yeah, you you don't really want the score to overtake the music. And, you know, I, I wonder if my issue with the ending... It's because you hate Loretta Lynn. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, no, I don't, but I, I'm going in kind of a similar direction in that if it's just because I'm so divorced from the music. And maybe. I wonder if if for people who care about Loretta Lynn, who have a emotional attachment to that song, Coal Miner's Daughter, I wonder if that's all they needed. You know, really, if this movie is for Loretta Lynn fans. Maybe that music does more for wrapping up the film than 
somebody who isn't familiar with her music needs. Mm-hmm. And in which, and if that's the case, then maybe I'm, you know, then then maybe I'm wrong. And this is, um, that 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 emotional element is there, and I just wasn't able to pick yeah. up on it. It's 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 always a battle because like I um I don't know if this film will ever happen, but um, a couple of years ago I got permission from Lloyd Kaufman to write a bio biopic about his wife. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, and it's one of those things I don't expect it to go anything. It's not like he's going to produce it or anything. It's just like, "Hey, I want to do this. I have some ideas. Do I have your permission to write this?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. go for it." Cuz I told him what I was kind of planning. Now I wanted to do something in kind of in the vein of the biopics I like, like Coal Miner's Daughter and shit like that, where it's, you know, I'm not going for like 24-hour party people where it's crazy and zany. And he's right. like, "Which is good cuz he's like they have something in the works." That would be more the crazy, you know, the mayor of Tromoville type thing. I wanted more about the story behind the man. Right. And he's like, yeah, go for it. And I don't know if it'll ever happen. And one thing that I kept running into is like, where do I end this film? Right. You know, do I make it about him trying to get the Toxic Avenger made and then it's over? Or do I go beyond that? Like, what's his end? And, you know, it's not like, or, you know, it's not like, say, Elton John, who is all intents and purposes he's essentially retired but he's not like he's so old i don't think a major life thing is going to happen to him at this point <laughs> right other than dying and i hate to say that or, and it, we're like we're it's gonna happen to all of us yeah, freddie mercury is dead that's yep. an easy like we His have our story yep. here's our timeline for someone who's still actively making music or making a movie or whatever especially because 1980 that's you know she was still putting out records in 1980 yeah. <laughs> so it's like I think it's a it's a balancing act. It's like how do you make a fulfilling ending for a story that, in all intents and purposes, is not ended. Right, you're ending a chapter. And I, honestly, like I, 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 when the movie ended, I was like, oh, that's it. I I, I could have watched another hour of this film. Yeah, well, because it didn't it, feel as long as it was. We I, I think. I'm I'm skirting some of what you're saying in what I'm about to say, so I I take your point, but I you don't necessarily need to have all of the life events out of the way, depending on how you frame that person, the the story that you're telling about that person, and this is essentially what you were saying about Lloyd Kaufman, like what is the you know is it about the mating of the Toxic Avenger, mm-hmm. is it you know where coal miner's daughter seemed to be telling the story more of her and Doolittle than it was about her rise to stardom. Yeah. Um, Which I guess now, it makes sense to end the film at her biggest hit. Yeah. I, and I think what it was missing for me was... And and they, they sowed seeds of this in the beginning. Like, well, are you, are you my wife or are you your dad's daughter? You know, or are you that coal miner's daughter, which is then resolved, I am a coal miner's daughter. I'm not necessarily just your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that there was just, a, that is, I just wanted a little bit more support of that. And maybe that's all in the song. It's, but it, the point that I was trying to make is that thinking about when you're, when you're taking on a, a biopic, really narrowing in on 
not just I'm telling the story of Loretta Lynn or I'm telling the story of Lloyd Kaufman or whoever, Freddie Mercury. It's what about that person are you exploring in this yeah. film? And that helps decide where the ending should be. Yeah. That was, I rambled a lot. No, there, that was apologize. great. That was great, Nick. <laughs> Yeah. So that those that was my my favorite and least favorite element of the film and the tangents associated. So my favorite part of the film is when the movie began, and my least favorite. Part oh, of the that's film, right up front. My least favorite part of the film is when it ended. <laughs> <laughs> all the middle stuff was fine. Yeah, all the middle stuff was fine. <laughs> no, no, I, honestly, like I, I still, I'd say one. Um, because the, the movie has, for being a kind of a slower-paced film, the movie has a pretty abrupt beginning. They kind of introduce you to a lot of people pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I th- I'd say when I kind of got hooked, I, I guess, like... Thrill House! Yeah, my Thrill House moment. The moment that hooked me again was the uh, auction scene at the school. <laughs> Or yeah. at the church or whatever it was. And one, because it had that, has that amazing just smash cut of Doolittle. Like, I, I can do the auction and all the music is going crazy. And then smash cut to him being very Bam. like, what, do I got a dollar? <laughs> and then like... Also, I love the scale of value of money, too. Like, two dollars. <gasps> I'll give you two bits. <laughs> two bits? Are you crazy? I'll and give you a dollar. <laughs> hey, you're the auctioneer. You can't do that. <laughs> Well, I, well, I'll give you dollar five, five dollars. <laughs> Just the way it progresses, <gasps> and then you have that amazing moment. It's like, how much salt did you use in this? Well, I didn't use any salt. Oh dang! Oh, <laughs> oh dang! And I was like, the way oh. you said that r- reminded me of Cletus the Slapjaw Yoda. Well, dang! Oh dang! Kids, we're eating dinner tonight. Come on, Tiffany, Heather, Cody, Dylan, Dermot, Jordan, Taylor, Brittany, Wesley, Rumor, Scout, Cassidy, Zoe, Chloe, Max, Hunter, Kendall, Caitlin, Noah, Sasha, Morgan, Kira, Ian, Lauren, Cubert, Phil. You know I got to wear the shirt which Dairy Queen gimme. <laughs> I love Queen. But, uh, no, I, I would say that's the scene that really got me because it's like, once again, like, it's like, it, it's character driven. Did you really get a feel for these, who these two people are? Um, and it's like, it's one of those things like, I can't see anyone else playing these parts. Right. Yeah. Like Tommy yeah. Lee Jones looks fucking weird with his red hair and weirdly colored lips and shit. But it's like <laughs> all that shed away as the movie c- progresses. And, um, Yeah. And like I just well, love like his, them on the road, just going to uh, uh, going to uh, uh, radio stations and shit. I don't know. I just it all yeah. worked for me. Well, there's there's when they first record her. Uh, that's kind of when Doolittle's character is really um, a positive force in her life. Like he believes in her. He's like, baby, I'm. If this is, he actually asks her at one point. Is this what you want? And if not, we'll just go back home, and that's fine. And mm-hmm. we'll be, you know, we'll have our cow and our kids, and everything's great. Uh, and she said, "Nope, I want to do this. I want to say it was her decision, and he gave her that option." Yeah. Um, and this is where where 
him as a husband really shines. It shows the good side of him. When they first got married, you saw the really shitty side of him. Yeah. Um, and then this is where the the his version of love and support is really shining, which gives you that counterbalance and makes the character more interesting. Not not a better person. You're just seeing both facets mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. complex character. Yeah. And he is a complex character, and I think it's, I actually think it's really a disappointment that Tommy Lee Jones wasn't even nominated for acting for the Academy. Okay, because he was he was just as good as she was. Yeah. yeah, she had more to do with the singing and all that, but like he was just as good. Yeah, as, as she was. Uh, she didn't get much screen time, but Beverly Beverly D'Angelo too. Was I know really excellent. I, most people film. just know her as being, you know. <laughs> the the wife in the Griswold film she's yeah. so good in this film yeah like yeah. I think some people forget how strong of an actress she was well and we're we're introduced to her character as she's in a hospital bed mm-hmm. after the accident and like sneaking beers <laughs> having having her husband sneak her beers in like and. She's dynamic, even mm-hmm. sitting in that bed, yeah. like having that conversation with young Loretta Lynn. Um, uh, it it was a she did an amazing job with that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like yeah, she said she's in the movie very little, but she really makes every scene she's in stand. And I feel like she, she Beverly D'Angelo knows she's in very few scenes in this film, uh, and she is not the star in any way, shape, or form. And I don't mean that in a bad way, uh, but I like this is like her fifth movie or so, give or take. Okay. Uh, so I feel like she's coming in, being like, "I'm going to bring everything I fucking have <laughs> for this movie," and yep. Sissy Spacek is going to have to keep up with me because I feel like anything they were together, they made each other better. Well, and and that I think was good for the relationship of those two characters mm-hmm. too. Like that was the right dynamic for Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline mm-hmm. together. So, um, yeah, no, it, her, her presence in the film extended beyond the limited number of scenes she was in. 100%. Yeah. And you didn't think we were going to get an hour out of Nicole <laughs> Our, daughter. Did we make it? Did we make it to uh, an hour? 54 minutes. Um, close enough. No, I, because of the fact that the film is so kind of, mellow there i what it beautifully acted mm-hmm. beautifully directed great character development but then once you say those things like there's not a lot of meat to the film to like dive into and the character it, it's it's yes yes and we did that and it, yeah. i'm just happy that it that yeah. we got a full that we run an hour at. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of those things too. It's like I feel like even if you're not a fan of country music, you find yourself kind of like tapping your foot during this movie and, and yeah. kind of enjoying yeah. yourself. I wanted um Tommy Lee Jones's entire wardrobe. I want to I take his wardrobe from the film and hang it in my closet. And then like when he had like his his boots tucked his pants tucked into his boots and everything near the end, I'm like, I just I want to dress like you. <laughs> It was it, when he dressed up, he looked great. When he was dressed down, he looked great. Yep, that one where he has like that frilly tuxedo undershirt. Yep, and oh, just I love fantastic. his goofy green hat that he wore near the beginning of the film. <laughs> yeah, oh. 
and then like wonderful. oh that one last funny story so um sissy spacek talked about uh driving in that jeep with tommy lee jones because tommy lee jones is doing all of his own driving in this movie <laughs> I do all my own stunts. Uh, and she was like, he's like, he's like, I trusted him. He was a really good driver. But there was one point where we hit a bump and I almost went flying out the Jeep. And you, see, you see that on yeah, camera. There's that one they, shot that she, so I, they, they stopped the Jeep and she said she screams at him and smacks him and everything. And he's like, he's like, don't you ever do that again. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'm, I didn't mean to lose control like that. And he said, like, we did it again. It did it the goddamn same way. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it seems like a Tom Lee Jones thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I will never hit your daughter, sir, and I will never take her far away from home. <laughs> and then it's like, I just think, so this is the second time that Tommy Lee Jones has popped up on this on this podcast. And, like, it's funny. He looks old all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the other one was The Eyes of Laura Mars, which he did, it? Which is the movie he did right before this one. Okay, so we're we're only covering his really early years. Yeah, next we got to watch Rolling Thunder and uh, like Jackson County Jail, which I haven't seen either of those, so it'll no. work. They're both exploitation films. Ah, nice. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I this is a movie I can see myself returning to and just kind of like it. It feels like a warm blanket, like where you can just kind of yeah. it's 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 drama enough where. You feel like you're watching something that's compelling, but it's not like, oh, this is a drag of a movie to sit through because it's so no, sad or anything. It's, it, it's 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 funny when it needs to be. It's sad when it needs to be. It's 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 a good. It's just a well paced film. For all of the times in this episode that I described it as mellow and and slower paced, like I was never not captivated by mm-hmm. it. And I think the the. Direction and acting, which I've already said, the character development, but also the scenery. Like, there's some beautiful scenery in the first half of this film of this simple. It's, it's it, it honestly looks like what my um, the area that my grandparents live. Yeah. So, I'm uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of this film. It seemed like you liked. I think I might like it a little bit more than you, but. Um, yeah. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about for Coal Miner's Daughter, Nick? I don't think so. I think that uh, we wrapped it up, it up with a nice little bow. Did you have a review for us? You get the pick. Okay. So first, I could do The Freshman with Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick. Oh, that's an interesting combo. Then I've got Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland in The Cowboy Way. <laughs> Why are you making this so difficult? And then finally, I uh, I have the Go- the David Gordon Green comedy starring Danny McBride and James Franco, Your Highness. Oh, um, I think thematically uh, for this episode, let's go. Uh, there are no losers in that batch. Um, <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Cowboy Way. Okay, Cowboy Way, I enjoyed. So... We got the Cowboy Way from our good friends over at Mill Creek. Stars Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland's got a mustache. Uh, that is a glorious... There it who's, is. Um, Look at that. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's a country singer from the 80s. Well, actually, every country Travis singer from Tritt. the 80s had that, had that mustache. <laughs> so, back of the box says, Hold on to your hats and get ready for a wild ride. It tells me I have to say this in a southern accent. Okay, yeah, Woody Harrelson, Kiefer Sutherland, and Dylan McDermott 
bring the wide open plains to the crowded city and this rip roaring action comedy from producer Brian Grazer. A missing girl has Sutherland and Harrelson saddled up for this big for big trouble as they set out to find her within the badlands of New York City. Featuring plenty of excitement and nonstop laughs, the Cowboy Way is a wildly funny edge of your seat romp, says ABC Radio Network. <laughs> so it gives you very very little. So the <laughs> so how much of a Trotodile Dundee ripoff is this? I was ta- I was I, I was watching this movie with our with our house guest Emma, and because she she knows, um, so I just want to make sure it was nothing important. She knows Woody Harrelson from Cheers. Okay. And it yep. said she has never seen another movie. He's he, she's never seen him act in anything else. Like, how have you avoided Woody Harrelson this long? Like, that's haven't impressive. seen Solo, right? And she watched Solo with us. She's like, I have no recollection of this movie. <laughs> he he was in that. Yeah. She's like, wait, I watched that. But uh, uh, it's like it's impressive that you can go this long with avoiding Woody Harrelson. Um, so she she had wanted to watch it, and I I've always got a soft spot for Kiefer Sutherland. He's never yep. as good as I want him to be, but I like watch, I like seeing him on screen. Um, and then Dylan McDermott was just an added benefit, <laughs> uh, which I always get confused with Dermot Mulrooney. Oh yeah, Dylan Dermot Mulro- Dylan McDermott Mulrooney. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, um, so the Cowboy Way is it, uh, very much a a Crocodile Dundee ripoff. And like I was saying to Emma, there was a period of time. Where that was uh, this fish out of water story, they were making action comedies, and I use action very fucking loosely. Right, uh, city slippers. Yeah, these fish out of water stories that were you know comedies, but they did have some highfalutin action or whatever. This was a thing in the late '80s through good portion of the mid '90s. Yeah, the Cowboy Way is about these two uh, rodeo stars who um, who are obviously friends. Um, but they, the, um, hold on, I'm trying to pull up, uh, their names just cause it might help. Uh, <laughs> so the, these, these two rodeo stars who have a falling out because to do something to do with, um, Woody Harrelson's character, Pepper and Kiefer Sutherland's character, Sonny Pepper, uh, ran off with some money or something. And okay. Sonny needed it to so and he started his best brand. gal, and, and, and he needed it for no, not his best gal, <laughs> but Sonny wanted to start a ranch and all this other stuff, and they just had a falling out, and they're still doing rodeo and everything, but they're not as good as they once were when they were a team. Well, they have a friend, um, whose daughter was was kidnapped, and she has been kidnapped in New York, and I think they're it's like sex trafficking almost. Um, and the guy's like, I need you to go find my daughter. And they're like, well, I've never been to the city, but I'm going to go and help you find your daughter. And Woody, and he goes to see Woody Harrelson's character, Pepper, and be like, Pepper, do you have any of that winning money left? And he's like, yeah, how much do you need? He's like, doesn't matter. I just need it. And he's like, well, I'll give you the money, but I need to come with you. And he's like, no, no. And it, you know, the first half of the film was them like trying to like get back on the same page and realize that they actually still are friends. But then it becomes almost like this undercover cop film type thing where they're going around beating up gangsters, be like, "Where are they?" And and then cowboy hijinks ensue. Ernie Hudson's in the film, and that's kind of <laughs> oh, great. Yes! He plays a cop because um, they, they 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 spend the night in uh, Central Park, 
and he wakes them up. He's like, you guys can't sleep here. And it's a whole thing. And, um, and eventually he ends up helping them by giving them Ernie horses. Hudson never gets the dues that he deserves. No. And then, cause he, he lets them borrow his horse. So that way they're horse riding through New York at the end of the film. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> like pretty much if you've seen Crocodile Dundee, you've seen, uh, this film, uh, it's enjoyable. It's funny. Woody Harrelson's always great. Kiefer Sutherland's a fantastic straight man. Um, <laughs> Luis Guzman's in the film, and I always like seeing him pop up yes. into things. Yeah. Um, and it was it was it was fine. It was fine. It was uh, <laughs> like it's 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 a, it, so it was it was made by his company called um, uh, Imagine Entertainment, which was Brian Grazer's company that he started with Ron Howard. And Mill Creek's been putting out a couple of their films lately. And, like, um, actually, this other film that I have, The Freshman, they put out. They put out uh, that that body swap movie if, that I talked about yeah. last week. So, you know, it's they're, they're fun for the whole family is the way I describe it. You know, they also did, like, Kindergarten Cop and yeah, you know, yeah. Problem Child and shit like that. Michael Byers of the Shameless Picture Show touts the cowboy way as fine. <laughs> My favorite one is uh, on a trauma film. It said uh, there was a review from the musician Lemmy, and it just says, "I saw it." <laughs> um, so the movie, movies, movie, all things considered, is a lot of fun. It's I think it's actually kind of forgettable, but my mom is a huge fan of this film. There's a point that, in, the, in the beginning awesome. of the movie she she has been talking about since she first saw the film. I assume in 1994. There's a moment <laughs> where Woody Harrelson comes outside. He's completely buck naked because he's screwing around with this girl it's when uh Kiefer Sutherland comes to see him and he's got his hat covering his crotch and he's like he's like well let me go back in and get the money and he just drops both of his hands and the hat's still there (laughs) (laughs) which my mom thought was just like the funniest fucking thing (laughs) and all things considered when it popped up it made me laugh too it was like oh that's still funny I knew it was coming but it's still funny Oh, Michael, it's so funny because his erection is holding up the hat. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> um, so, like, it's a, it's a good time. If, you, if you're if a fan of this movie or you like Crocodile Dundee ripoffs, which I kind of do, actually, all things considered, I do recommend the film. Um, even though, uh, apparently, it made, uh, I'm on the Wikipedia page, it made the Rocky Mountain News is fifth worst movie of the year. <laughs> Not too bad. Not no. Too bad. And it was a dishonorable mention from the Pantograph, and it was in the top ten worst films in the Roanoke Times. So apparently people didn't like it, but I, I, I'm not that harsh on it. I thought the film was, you know, the story-wise was okay. If it didn't have Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland, this movie would be insufferable. <laughs> but they make this movie really fun. Uh, Dylan McDermott, is, is, he's, he plays such a slimy person, and he's great at it. Um... But yeah, I enjoyed the film. Good sound design on the film. It actually had a nice surround sound soundtrack to it. My biggest okay. complaint is, once again, I hate to say it, Milk Creek, the picture quality is awful. When, <laughs> when I came into it, I was like, oh, this actually doesn't look too bad. Because in the last film, I complained that you know they had like this digital smoothing to get rid of all the right. grain. And then they right. sharpened it, which looks weird. They didn't do that. I was like, hey, there's grain in this film. That's a good start. <laughs> but then I was like... That grain is really defined. And after watching it, I was like, oh, they sharpened it still. Which is usually a sign that they're using a lower quality print. But then what's really annoying, um, Nick, you've done video editing. You, I'm sure you, yep. you've heard this term uh, when, you, when you crush the blacks. When you yeah. take the black yeah. levels and you take them way down below when you're supposed to. Where you lose all color or you lose a lot of detail. 
Yep. They did that to this film. Ah. So it's like there's sometimes inside it's like, I wish I could see what's happening. But then there's <laughs> even times during the day I'm like, why are the shadows so pronounced on this guy's face? Like, I would say it's a better looking Blu-ray than some of the last ones I've reviewed. But it's still, I just wish they would just scan the film and let it be. Right. But like I said, it sounded good. It's a good deal. Like, I, the film's a lot of fun. I recommend it. It's Sure. There's, I mean, having not seen it, it from the way you're describing it, like, the films, a lot of the films that came out in this era that were like these family-friendly, let's all, let's get the kids, hop in the wood-paneled station wagon and head down to the multiplex for the, yeah. for the night, like, that kind of defined the kind of films that I grew up on. Like, those mm-hmm. are the the City Slickers, the Crocodile Dundies, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, are they great films? No. But you also don't watch it to watch a great film. No, you watch it for a couple of dads to, you know, something that's family-friendly. And, and, and yeah, it's, so it's it doesn't have to be an amazing masterpiece of cinema to be entertaining yeah and i'm sure that's where this falls in yeah and i was also happy to see my boy david newman showed up as a composer david newman for those out there who know he was the composer on heathers um amongst a bunch of other films like he did the brave little toaster both bill and ted oh, films I love that. throw mama from the train he he did like uh uh, uh mighty ducks he did a lot of stuff. yes uh, the Sandlot, the Flintstones, the Cowboy Way. So, like, <laughs> anytime David Newman shows up, I feel like he makes the film just a little bit more fun. Yeah, yeah. Because so that's a great lineup of films right there. Yeah, yeah. And and he also did music on a movie I'm going to be talking about next time or at some point soon. The Freshman with Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick. I can never remember Matthew Broderick's name. I have to check every time. Like, who is that? Now, is The Freshman a prequel to The Graduate? No, but I would say it's it's a pretty funny uh, Godfather ripoff. Nice, okay. <laughs> yeah, Marlon Brando's doing the same character. Perfect. <laughs> there's actually a review to give you to whet your appetite. There's a review on Letterbox that I love that was like, I've not seen the I've not seen the Godfather, but I've seen the Freshman. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think if that's it, Nick, then I think we can give our sign off and let you go handle those kids. Okay, what? Uh, are they being obnoxious and loud? I, a little bit. I would have never known. Bit. All right. All well, right. if you don't like my kids screaming at all of you sound or podcast listeners, then I guess I've got two words for you. Watch, Watch movies. movies. <laughs> all right, Nick. You have a good one, buddy. Thanks. You too. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.